You're listening to the Chronicles of Aguna, the Arsenal podcast. I'm Martin Tyler, and you're listening to Harry Simeon. Hello and welcome back to the Chronicles of Aguna, the Arsenal podcast brought to you by 90 Min. As ever, I'm your host, Harry Simu, and on this edition, we're continuing our build-up to Arsenal versus Crystal Palace in the Monday night football. Patrick Vieira returns to the Emirates Stadium in Crystal Palace colours. Patrick Vieira, of course, taking charge of Crystal Palace uh, in his first season. And to be fair, they've looked okay. You know, they've looked pretty good in the opening few weeks. The results haven't always gone their way, granted. They obviously battered Spurs, which was their only win of the season, but it was a good win, a great win, a solid win, and a win that we as Arsenal fans certainly enjoyed. They've got seven points from seven, and they come to the Emirates Stadium to face an Arsenal side who looked as though we might have turned the corner a few weeks ago, but just stuttered at Brighton a little bit. There were just signs at Brighton that the performance level would dropped right down again, which was obviously of some concern to a lot of us. Uh, But on this edition, we're going to be really looking ahead to this one in a lot more detail. I'm going to be talking to you about the starting lineup. I'm going to be talking to you about how I think the game might go. Um, I'll be explaining the starting lineup that I decide to pick. And bear in mind, it is the 11 that I would pick. And I'd love to hear from you guys in the chat as well what you would do. Um, We're also going to talk a little bit about some of uh, the comments from Mikel Arteta's press conference yesterday because there was a couple of interesting bits and pieces that we need to make sure that we touch on. And uh, we'll be taking whatever you guys want to ask in the live chat box, as always. So um, let's say a big hello before we move on to those of you joining us in the live chat at the minute. Big hello to Steve, to Jashar, to Junior Gunner, to Creambone and everybody else currently watching this show live. Big shout out to everybody who will be watching or listening to this back later on as well. So it's Arsenal versus Crystal Palace. And Mikel Arteta faced the media yesterday ahead of this one. That's Thursday. Um, Not much in terms of uh, injury news. We know that Granit Xhaka, with how long he'll be spending on the sidelines, may be cut short. You know that Granit Xhaka will be working incredibly hard behind the scenes and hopefully he'll be back sooner than that. And of course, we've got the African Cup of Nations to come in January as well. So If we could somehow get Granit Xhaka back a little bit sooner, it would come as a very welcome boost because I don't know about you guys, but I don't get the impression that Arsenal are going to spend big money in the January window. So it feels like that would probably be the the best way of us kind of plugging that hole and dealing with that whole situation. But of course, with an injury like the one that Granit Xhaka sustained, you, you can't rush things. Sometimes it takes players a bit of time to get back up to speed as well. And all of that, needs to be taken into consideration. Um, He was obviously asked about Patrick Vieira, who he paid tribute to, uh, talked about him being an Arsenal legend, um, was asked about the fact that he won the Manager of the Month award, Mikel Arteta, that is, last month. He was very quick to say that that award is not personal. Uh, The the Manager of the Month, I nearly said Man of the Match, the Manager of the Month award uh, is for the entire team. He was also asked about those Thierry Henry comments that I went into uh, a couple of days ago on the show. I was really not annoyed with Thierry Henry or not frustrated with him or not 
you know, angry towards him. I wasn't pissed off about it in any way, shape or form. But my view was very much that anything that comes from Thierry Henry now with regards to the direction of travel in which the club are currently headed needs to be taken with a pinch of salt because there is, whether you want to admit it or not, there is a bit of a conflict of interest there as somebody who is part of a group looking to take control of the club. It's in his benefit to drive the narrative that we are moving in the wrong direction. And look, we might be, you know, only time is going to tell if these investments that Arsenal made in the summer and the decision to persist with Mikel Arteta proves to be the right one. But nobody can possibly know the answer to that right now. So for Thierry Henry to say something like that, yes, there's an element of truth to it. Yes, people are going to listen and are going to give his uh, opinion the airtime because of who he is. But let's not forget that it's in his and Daniel X's interest that the fan base make as much noise as possible with regards to the ownership so that they feel as though selling is probably the best thing to do. Because right now the Cronkies aren't budging and they're not budging because they don't need to. You know, they're, they're stinking rich. And while Arsenal are on a relatively good run and we know that they started the season very poorly, you know, that, that that's clear. But that run of three wins and a draw has made everybody essentially stop talking about KSE. So what I'm trying to say is that with Thierry Henry, with Daniel Ek, with anybody involved in that potential takeover, it's in their interest to drum up the noise again and build that noise up again about why Arsenal are moving in the wrong direction. And, and therefore, you shouldn't dismiss what Thierry Henry says, but you have to take it with a pinch of salt. Uh, when Mikel Arteta was asked about it, he said, look, it's just another opinion. He claimed that he never heard the comments from Thierry Henry um, prior to being or prior to having them read off to him by the journalist during that press conference. I'm not sure I believe that because it was everywhere. But uh, Mikel Arteta kind of maybe playing the game a little bit there. Um, he was asked about the future of Alexander Lacazette. Um, you know, what, what's going to happen with Alexander Lacazette? Is he somebody that Arsenal could potentially look to move on in January? And Mikel Arteta's answer was very, very clear. You know, Alexander Lacazette, whatever the future holds beyond this summer, remains a part of Arsenal's immediate plans and is part of the squad and will play a role this season. So he made that very, very clear. I'm still not convinced that if a good offer was to come in or, or a, you know, a relative offer, uh, given his contract situation, that Arsenal would be able to ignore it and would not even pay attention to it. But, you know, as it stands, it seems he is part of the plans. Um, but even if he wasn't, you know, even if there was a, a consideration or a, a willingness and openness among those within the club, that if a bid did come in, they would take it, then I don't think that that's something Mikel Arteta is going to speak about in public. He also talked about uh, Jack Wilshire. And the role he's having in and around the club at the moment, of course, the former Arsenal midfielder is training back at the club, has been seen uh, travelling with the under-23s to games, getting involved in that side of things and uh, having apparently a very, very positive impact around the place. Still nothing on whether he will be re-signing. You know, he's got a long way to go before he can prove that he's at the level to come in and do something for Arsenal. But, you know, obviously good to have him in and around the club. Uh, what else have we got? He talked a little bit about Emil Smith-Rowe and, you know, he was asked uh, about how he was managing to kind of keep Emil Smith-Rowe's feet on the ground. Mikel Arteta 
responded to that by saying, actually, it's probably the opposite with Emil Smith-Rowe. You probably need to tell him how good he is more so than making sure that his feet stay on the ground. He's a very modest character. And finally, before we kind of go on to the lineup and the predictions and, and get you guys' thoughts as well, um, I, I guess the biggest part and the key part that came out of this press conference was with regards to Gabriel Martinelli. Now, as I mentioned on the show a few days ago, I've seen a lot of rumours, a lot of content around how Gabriel Martinelli is, if possible, going to force his way into the side, how Mikel Arteta is responsible for him not performing at the level we'd all like to see him, how Mikel Arteta's ruining him. I've seen that in some quarters as well. And and then there was talk about him potentially going out on loan. Well, Mikel Arteta dismissed the idea of Gabriel Martinelli going out on loan. He said that Arsenal have plenty of trust. He said, we trust him a lot. Um, but he talked about injuries. He talked about age. He talked about where he is in terms of his progression line. And I think one of the most telling comments that, that Mikel Arteta made, which gives you a, a bit of an insight and a bit of an indication as to how Mikel maybe feels about Gabriel Martinelli, was when he said, we trust him a lot, but sometimes the frustration comes from an unrealistic diagnosis. So the way I read that was, the frustration comes from perhaps Gabriel Martinelli believing that he is at a higher level than he currently is at. Is that what, um, you know, is that what Gabriel Martinelli is, uh, sorry, Mikel Arteta is trying to say with regards to Gabriel Martinelli? And if he is, I wouldn't be surprised because I've talked about it on this show time and time again in recent weeks when people have been making a lot of noise about Gabriel Martinelli. It's all well and good, but when he gets those opportunities, when he comes into the side, he's got to take them and he's got to grab them with both hands. And this season so far, of course, he played against Brentford, started against Chelsea. I don't really think he's done that. Now, of course, the team were poor around him and you have to consider that as well. But has Gabriel Martinelli, you know, take into account the uh, AFC Wimbledon game in the cup as well, where he started, have has Gabriel Martinelli in any of those fixtures been so good, been so convincing that you as an Arsenal fan have gone, my God, he needs to play next week? I'm not sure if you put your hand on your heart and you wipe out the previous and you forget about what he did under Unai Emery and just focus on what he's been like in the last 12 to 18 months. I don't think that you can hand on your heart, say he's done enough to force his way in the team. But that's just my opinion. Well, we know he's staying put anyway. So uh, there's still plenty of time and plenty of opportunities for him to get some more minutes under his belt. So let's move on to the lineup. Arsenal take on Crystal Palace. And I'm, when I was thinking about this, I wanted to look at how Crystal Palace have been lining up lately as well. And the reason I think this is massively important is because, of course, um, We've got a bit of a dilemma in midfield at the moment, haven't we? You know, what do you do with Arsenal's midfield? We we know that Granit Xhaka's missing. We know that he's a massive part of Mikel Arteta's plans. We know that he's someone that, um, you know, Mikel Arteta, if possible, likes to have in the team. So what I decided to do was look back at Crystal Palace's lineup in their last Premier League game, which was that 2-2 draw with Leicester City and try and work out what it is that Palace are likely to do. And therefore, we can try and find the best way of combating that. So the way they started against Leicester was with a, it says on paper, 4-3-3. It looks a bit like a 
yeah, all right, it's a 4-3-3. It was Ward, Anderson, Gway and Mitchell across the back line with Vicente Gaeta in goal. And then in midfield, it was MacArthur, Milivojevic, Conor Gallagher, who's been a revelation since he joined the club, you have to say, with Odson Edouard leading the line, provided support by Wilfred Zaha on the left wing. And of course, Ayu playing from the right-hand side. Now, Crystal Palace have a little bit more depth now as well, because when you look at that team, there's a few players that you look on their substitutes bench that you would have thought might well have been starters under Roy Hodgson. You know, it kind of indicates that they've done a fair bit of business in the window. They've got players in and they're improving the side because Michael Olise, who is somebody who is very, very highly rated, signed in the summer. He was on the bench. Will Hughes, another player, highly rated central midfielder, on the bench. Cheku Kuyate, who I've always thought is an absolute man mountain in the middle of the park. Again, on the bench. Christian Benteke is there too. Nathaniel Klein's not a bad fullback. James Tompkins, pretty decent centre-half. Jack Butland in goal. So there's a lot more depth now to this Crystal Palace side than there was probably under Roy Hodgson, you have to say. And that's been because despite losing a lot of players, Palace, I think, have recruited really, really well this summer. So when I think about the Gallagher, Milivojevic and MacArthur almost trio in the middle of the park, that sways my mind on how Arsenal should line up in midfield. But we're going to park that just for a second and I'll come back to it. So if we go over uh, to the tactics board and I share it with you so that we can start to um, to discuss the team that I think should play and feel free to get any suggestions in the chat box as well. Always, uh, always happy to hear from you guys. Um, so for me, in goal, you know, it's it's an easy one. It's going to be Aaron Ramsdale. He's well and truly Arsenal's number one now. I don't think there's any doubt about that. Uh, moving into the back line, you know, Tommy Asu, of course, been on international duty, but is back uh, having returned from Japan. Uh, so Tommy Asu plays at right back for me. Ben White, the man who doesn't watch football, uh, should play at right centre back alongside Gabriel. I think that partnership is really starting to develop. And then Kieran Tierney, who was described this week as the fastest man at Arsenal in sprint training, uh, will be playing at left back for me. Now, moving into the midfield is the difficult part, right? Because that back line pretty much now, when everybody's fit, when everybody's available, you have to say fits itself or picks itself. So moving into the midfield, you know that Thomas Partey is going to be somebody on the team sheet, but who should play alongside him? Now, I talked a lot in the tactical analysis after the Brighton game about the role that Sambi Lakonga played. And I felt that Sambi Lakonga was hung out to dry a little bit because you play a right-footed player on the left-hand side of the midfield. Naturally, as I highlighted on numerous occasions, he will pull slightly wider. Naturally, um, he's going to see Brighton coming forward with their wing-backs down the right-hand side the way they did so frequently and get sucked into going out wide to confront them, trying to protect his fullback. And what I felt that did was create too big a gap between Thomas Partey and Lokonga, meaning that Brighton could expose those spaces in between and get forward and get bodies forward, get numbers forward and cause us problems. So I think it's really, really important that out of possession, Arsenal can be quite compact because this Crystal Palace side will play in a very different way, in my opinion, to the Crystal Palace sides we saw under Roy Hodgson. Will they be conservative at times? Of course they will. They're away at Arsenal. So 
that shouldn't come as any surprise. But I think they will play a lot more football. I think you will see um, Gway and Anderson pushing further up the pitch, trying to step into that midfield, trying to play balls in between the lines and trying to be a lot more progressive than Crystal Palace maybe have been in years gone by. So what do we do to combat that? I think we need to press high up the pitch. I think we need to squeeze high up the pitch. I think for me, there's a few options. Obviously, Sambi Lakonga, would you play him? Would you go with perhaps Ainsley Maitland-Niles? Obviously, Mohamed Elneny is somebody that you could consider as well in the middle of the park if he's available. Um, you know, so I'm sitting there thinking about this and, and trying to work it out. Then the other option is, do you take... Odegaard out of that more advanced position and drop him into a slightly deeper role and play something more like a 4-3-3. That might be the solution here. You know, and, and I, I'm not sure 100% because the reservation I have is when you think about what Palace have at their disposal, Gallagher, MacArthur, Milivojevic, what do all of those players have that Martin Odegaard doesn't? They're very physical, very physical. And I just wonder if we were to vacate that midfield space too often, will we be leaving Thomas Partey with too much to do in terms of dealing with the physicality of those three players? And I think you probably are. I guess a lot of this depends on how you want to approach the match. And if you're Arsenal and you want to see, or if you're Mikel Arteta and you want to see Arsenal squeezing Crystal Palace right up the pitch, playing with that aggressive press that we've seen serve us well in recent times, but also sometimes just not work, then I think you need to go with the Odegaard that little bit deeper in alongside Partey, chuck Emil Smith throw in at 10 and put Nicolas Pepe in one of the wide areas. But I don't think that Mikel Arteta is going to do that. I think he's probably going to stick with Lokonga. Um, and I guess on the balance of things, when I consider it all, just because of that physicality that Palace possess in midfield, the Odegaard thing I've talked myself out of it or thought myself out of it during this podcast. It might be a bit of a risk. So I'm going to go with Lakonga alongside Partey. But as I say, when without the ball, he needs to be a hell of a lot closer to Thomas Partey than he was at Brighton because I thought it was one of the big issues that we faced. Number 10, I'm going with Martin Odegaard. Uh, I know he had a stinker at Brighton. I think we can all agree on that. But I think overall, since returning to the club, he's looked very good, very lively. If we are going to press, as I've mentioned, he is a key figure in that. Therefore, he starts for me. From the right-hand side, I'm going to go with Bukayo Saka. From the left, I'm going to go with Emil Smith-Rowe. And through the middle, I'm going to go with Pierre-Emerick Aubameyang. But this wasn't easy. And when I say this, I mean the whole front three, because I don't think that Saka or Smithrow necessarily covered themselves in glory during that game uh, at Brighton, which means you could argue that Nicolas Pepe deserves a recall, deserves an opportunity to show what he can do. I didn't think that Emil Smithrow was all that good at Brighton either. You know, I mentioned Saka. I, I didn't think either of them were particularly good. Or Bamiyang wasn't very good either. And when Lacazette came on, okay, we didn't massively uplift in terms of our performance, but we did see some improved link-up play, some improved combination play, and and better first touches, and a more of a willingness to drop into those deeper spaces and then create those areas in which the wide forwards can run from outside to in into. And that's a key part, you know, when you're playing. Uh, this way. I think it's really, really important. And I just want to kind of highlight it here. You know, 
what Arsenal do like to do with the centre-forward is for the centre-forward to drop into this position here. Hopefully bring a couple of centre-backs with him and then create those spaces for Emil Smith-Rowe and Saka to make those runs beyond him. I'm not sure Aubameyang is as good at doing that as Alexander Lacazette is, but of course Aubameyang carries plenty of threat of his own. So this is an interesting decision for Mikel. I, I don't expect him to drop... Um, to drop Pierre-Emerick Aubameyang in favour of Alexander Lacazette. I think he's made it pretty clear in recent weeks who his number one centre-forward is. But I think Lacazette could play a role to uh, could play a role in this game. And I think for me, this could be... You know, it, it, you know, I talk about Palace being a little bit more adventurous and being a little bit more ambitious and maybe pushing further up the pitch than they normally do. But I don't... You know, I, I still don't expect them to be naive. I still don't expect them to come and be completely and utterly gung-ho and, and leave themselves open and exposed to constant counter-attacks. And so the role of somebody like Alexander Lacazette in and around the penalty area could prove key in the latter stages because I don't envisage us, you know, creating a flurry of chances. And, and you might ask why, but the fact is we just don't. You know, we don't. We did against Norwich. I didn't think we created all that much against Tottenham outside of the goals. And we certainly didn't create much at Brighton. So there is a problem with chance creation in this Arsenal side. And sometimes you just need to change it up. Sometimes things need to be a little bit different. And so I wouldn't be surprised, as I say, if Lacazette plays some part, some role in the game. But I don't expect him to start. So just to kind of clarify, the team I'd select to face Crystal Palace um, on Monday night is as follows. Aaron Ramsdale in goal. Back four of Takahiro Tomiyasu, Ben White, Gabriel and Kieran Tierney. In midfield, I'd partner Sambi Lakonga alongside Thomas Partey with Martin Odegaard playing just ahead of them. Saka from the right, Emile Smith-Rowe from the left and Pierre-Emerick Aubameyang through the middle. So that's the side I would select. Let me know in the chat box if you've got anything different. What would you do? What would you change? Always uh, willing to hear from you guys. So get involved. Um, yeah, let's see what you got to say. In terms of a prediction, and I, I don't really like doing predictions. I was on a really good run, actually. I think I got two or three weeks right in succession. And then we had a stinker at Brighton. So I'm going to go this time with a... And I've used this score a lot lately because I just feel like it's what we are at the moment. So I'm going to go with 1-0 to the Arsenal. That's going to be my prediction. Get your predictions and get anything in uh, that you would do differently in terms of the team selection. Also, any questions that you might have uh, for the last sort of seven, eight minutes of the show, make sure you get them into the chat box and I'll work my way through as many of those as I possibly can. Um just a quick reminder, if you haven't done so already and you are watching us live or watching this back on playback, please do hit that like button. It really, really helps the channel, helps the video, gets it out to as many people as possible. Also, subscribe to the channel if you are new. We'd love to have you on board. Uh, the more the merrier, I always say. But yeah, get involved. Uh, let's see uh, what some of you guys are saying. Uh, Omar says... Uh, how are you feeling after the debate earlier today? Yes, if you haven't checked out the previous episode, please do. We had a good old debate about the Ben White comments. Um, and, and listen, look, a lot of people disagreed with me in the chat box, and that's absolutely fine. But I stick by what I said. I find it strange. I find it strange that Ben White doesn't watch football. I find it strange that Ben White had so little knowledge of Patrick Vieira. 
And again, as I said during that episode, while it doesn't bother me, doesn't piss me off, doesn't upset me, it's one of those things that as a footballer, you're putting your by putting it out there, you're putting yourself at risk. Why are you putting yourself at risk? Well, because when let's say, for example, Wilfred Zaha roasts you and puts one into the bottom corner, people will automatically say, well, Ben White should have dealt with that. And if he'd have watched more of Crystal Palace and more of uh, of Wilfred Zaha, maybe he'd have known that and maybe he'd have prevented the goal. It's one of those things where your critics will stay silent at the time and insist there's nothing wrong with the comment. But they'll pick that comment up, they'll pop it in their back pocket, as I said earlier on. And when that opportunity presents itself to throw it back at you, they will do it. Uh, let's see what else uh, we've got from you guys in the chat. Omar says, same team as Brighton for me, to be honest, but Aubameyang needs to fix up on Monday, not having that Brighton performance. Um, Creambone says, really feel this is a game for Pepe, as Palace will leave gaps at the back. Uh, Steve says Oba can start, but if it's not working, I would like Arteta to be more ruthless with his subs and do it earlier. Interesting. Uh, what else have we got? Um, as he says, El Nini instead of Partey. Instead of Partey? Wow. And Laka instead of Oba. Interesting. Uh, Ekene says Odegaard and Partey and Smithrow in the number 10 is what he would do in that midfield. Um, again, look, I, I haven't really got an issue with it, but I do um, I do feel like it's a little bit lightweight. And I think that Palace's superior physicality in there, in Milovojevic, in Gallagher and in MacArthur could be a problem. I really do. I really do. But I wouldn't put put it past Mikel doing this. And I actually think there's a good chance he does. Uh, so watch this space. Uh, let's see uh, what else you guys are saying. Uh, Junior Gunners uh, says, Skulls' comments on the overlap suggest we don't get much recognition or respect because we aren't a great side whilst we're a big club. Why do we still seek validation of the big boys? We're a mid-table time. Yeah, look, I, I haven't seen that overlap episode in full yet but a lot of people have been talking about it and I have seen a couple of clips from it and look we, we just got to keep our heads down and get on with our job and I actually thought the argument made by the Arsenal fans about us being a bigger as big a club as Manchester United was was quite embarrassing bit cringe because it's not true um, we are a huge football club but we're not the size of Manchester United let's be bloody honest uh, so yeah I did find that a little bit cringe uh, big hello to Saeed Abdullah. Welcome, my friend. I haven't seen you in here for a couple of days, so welcome. Hope you're good. Uh, let's see what else we've got. Um, lots of you disagreeing with me on the Ben White thing again. I wish I never brought it up again, but Jay Dubia says, um, Ronaldinho didn't like watching football. Batistuta didn't even like football. He just saw it as his profession. Ter Stegen doesn't like watching footy either. There are quite a few, mate. Yeah, but Jay, you're, you're talking about brilliant talent. You're talking about Ronaldinho, one of the greatest ever. That's natural ability. That's talent. You don't you don't need to study football and watch loads of football if you're that bloody good. Is Ben White at Ronaldinho's level? Is Ben White as good a centre-back as Gabriel Batistuta was as a striker? No. And that enthusiasm for the game, it does disappear at some point in your career. I've spoken to numerous ex-professionals who have said that to me, but it doesn't happen when you're 21, 22 years old. 
It happens later on in your career. Ter Stegen, good goalkeeper. Is Ben White as good a centre-back today as Ter Stegen is as a goalkeeper? And my point is these guys can afford because they got to points in their career where they'd already commanded and earned the respect. Nobody's ever going to turn around now looking back on Ronaldinho's career and say, Ronaldinho, you weren't good enough because you didn't watch enough football. Because Ronaldinho's already proved it. Ronaldinho's already shown what an unbelievable player he is. Same as Gabriel Batistuta, but Ben White's not there yet. And that's why when you're in a position whereby you can be criticised, and he has been criticised already in his very short Arsenal career, putting out a comment like that, although I don't really give a shit what Ben White does in his spare time, I just think opens the door to criticism. You mark my words, the minute Ben White has a bad game, there will be a group of Arsenal fans that bring up those comments. And that's all my point ever was. Don't make it. Don't open yourself up to it. Don't put yourself in a position of difficulty if you don't have to. And I just feel that he's done that uh, in, in maybe being too honest. Uh, let's see uh, what else we've got. Um Monster says, I heard your podcast earlier, Harry. Is it a sign of the times that Palace fans are feeling positive about getting a result at the Emirates? Yeah, um, great chat that with Harvey Jones from the Red and Blue site. Check that out. Uh, it was, uh, I think it was released yesterday, that one. Um, so you can catch that. Came out on Thursday. Really, really enjoyed it. Um, yeah, good stuff. Thank you. Uh, what else have we got? Lots of people still talking about it. Forget the Ben White thing. We did a whole episode on it earlier on, if you want to hear the, my views on that, you can you can catch it there. Uh, what else have we got? Um, yeah, really good one, this one from um, Steve Stone. He says, what do you think of Alex Ferguson's comments about the Invincibles? I was shocked. Yeah, I mean, I, I've only, we've all seen that little snippet, haven't we, in the film trailer? But I guess, I guess, and and look, this is a question that was that was put to me earlier on today, okay, by um by one of our loyal listeners. He's a, he's an author as well, and he's going to be on the show uh, very very soon talking about his new book, Chris Pantelli, um, drop uh, Chris Athanasi. Sorry, I'm getting my Chris's mixed up in the chat box. Uh, you know, made a a really good point to me earlier on, and he said, "Where is it? Here we go." As an Arsenal fan, would you trade losing a game in the Invincible season to win the Champions League in 2006? Answer this question for me in the in the chat box. Would you trade losing one game in the Invincible season for the 2006 Champions League trophy? Fire away in the chat box. I'm really interested to gauge you guys' feelings on this. The thing for me is this, and, and I've said this since I was a little kid. So if I changed my mind now, I'd be a bit of a hypocrite. But I always said that if I saw Arsenal win the Champions League, I would be content forever. I would have seen Arsenal achieve all the things that I wanted to see Arsenal achieve. The FA Cup, the Premier League, and then the Holy Grail, the European the Champions League, the holy grail of European football. And so for me, 
I probably would just about, but it's so bloody difficult, give up one of those games so that we would have won the Champions League. Because then I would have seen everything. Then I would have seen Arsenal win the Premier League, Arsenal win the double and Arsenal win the Champions League. And I'd be content. And I'd probably be a little bit less pissed off when we're in a position like we are now. Because for me, it hurts because it feels like there's so such a long way for us to go before we can achieve that one thing that I'm desperate to see Arsenal do, which is win the European Cup. But interesting to get some of your opinions because Double uh, AB says, no, the invincible season is our thing. Avishek says, yes, I would. Hackney Man says, no, opinion is divided here. As he says, yes. Map says, no, because it's a mark of history. We've got no's, we've got yeses, we've got all sorts in the chat box. And it is a really good question and one that sparks plenty of debate, as you can see already. And But, the, you know, when I say that I would do, I would give up one game or, or I would take one defeat to have won the Champions League, I don't say that lightly. I don't say that easily. It isn't an easy decision. It's a really tough one because as a lot of you rightly point out, the Invincibles is our thing. It's the one thing that we've achieved that I don't believe will be achieved in in recent or, or, or in the next decade. And it's not been achieved since 2004. So you're going back, what, 15, 16, 17 years now? You know, so it's, it is special. It is special. And it's something that we will hold dear forever. But the Champions League, to me, is just something I desperately want to see Arsenal win. So it's a tough one. Not an easy question. Really good question. Uh, and that was, of course, from Chris, who, as I say, he's written a fantastic book. Um, it's a, it's a, it's a brilliant read and, uh, Chris will be joining me on the show, uh, in the next few days to, uh, to discuss the book. So look forward to welcoming him on. Right. Uh, let's go over to the chat box then. Let's get some of your questions to round up the show. Let me know what you want to ask. There's a few in there already. I'll scroll a little bit further back, but I know I drifted away from Steve Stone's original question. So just while you're filling up the chat box, let me just quickly circle back around to that. What did I think of Alex Ferguson's comments? I think what's abundantly clear is that although that rivalry between Fergie and Wenger was really hot at one point, wasn't it? There is a mutual respect there between those two gentlemen. And there is, um, there is an admiration for one another. And I think that comes through in Fergie's comments. And I think I'm really looking forward to watching that film, Invincibles, because it looks fantastic. You know, it's going to be a brilliant watch. Comes out next month, of course. Posted the trailer on the Chronicles of Aguna Twitter page yesterday, so you can check it out if you haven't done so already. Um, you know, and, you know, the, the mutual respect there is incredible. And and I'm not surprised that Ferguson has, has given Arsene Wenger that kind of credit, because I think he really does deserve it. Um, even when people, you know, want to discredit sort of the second half of his Arsenal career. Uh, Abdi says, I feel like even when Arsenal lose, Harry does not rage. No, I do. I just don't go and stand outside the stadium and video myself on the camera if I'm blinding because I don't think that's constructive. Uh, you know, if you want to hear someone if I'm blind, then there's plenty of other places you can get that. Um, I like to do it a little bit more calmly. Doesn't mean I'm not feeling it inside. I can assure you I've had weeks, months and years ruined by Arsenal performances. Um, but 
there's a way of putting your points across. And, and I don't think that that's the way. You know, who wants to listen to someone shouting and screaming? I don't know. Let's see uh, what else we've got. Um, Alex says, does N Naziri excite you or would you prefer someone who hasn't been linked yet? I'm um, I'm a big fan of El Naziri. N Naziri, sorry. We did a, a little show um, on him. What was it? Was it last week now? You know, the international break feels like it's been going on for an absolute age. But we did do a show um, on him. We talked a lot about what he would bring to the side, what he would um, what he would add to the team. It was, here you go, I'll tell you the exact date that that show was released. So you can go back and check it out. It was on the 11th of October, that one. Uh, so you can catch it on the channel. Yeah, we talked a lot about about En Naziri and, and how I think he's the, the player that kind of fits really well into this system in the sense of he's got that physical presence. He gives you that kind of, um, you know, target in the penalty area, but equally is very technical, has a lot of other things going for him. I think he's really intelligent, scores goals, obviously. So, yeah, I think he is somebody that excites me for sure. Is it going to be easy to get that deal over the line? Is it a deal that we can get over the line? I don't know, you know, it, but he's somebody that Mikel Arteta is credited with having a massive interest in. So, um, yeah, be interesting to see how that develops probably next summer now. And uh, it's a signing I'd certainly be open to for sure. Let me see uh, what else we've got. Um, Billy Anderson says, you can sign one realistic striker in January. Who would it be? Mine is Defo Dominic Calvert-Lewin. See, mine is... And Naziri, I think he's got a higher ceiling and that's important for me. And I think it's important in terms of the way we're trying to build this team moving forward now. Um, so, yeah. Right. Uh, I am going to take one more question from Hackney Man. Uh, he says, yes or no, will Arsenal ever establish an attractive style of play under Arteta? That's a difficult question to answer, my friend. It really, really is. I think for me, there's been a lot of there's been a lot of Mikel Arteta enforcing pragmatism due to a lack of quality in certain areas. I, I, I do think that. I do think that a lot of the football that we've seen from Mikel Arteta's Arsenal so far is kind of half what he wants to do, but half of what he feels needs to be done. And I think you've seen Arsenal be negative in games where maybe we wouldn't have been in years gone by but I think we've tightened up defensively as a result of that. The problem is that when Wenger and Emery were in charge, we never had any balance in terms of our attack massively outweighed our defence. And now we've still got no balance, but the scales have kind of tipped the other way. And now we're in a place where we actually do defend quite well, especially since our new kind of back line has emerged and, and started to you know gel together but we're lacking at the other end of the pitch. And I think a lot of the reason we lack at the other end of the pitch is because players maybe aren't as good as we think they are in terms of their ruthlessness, in terms of their ability to convert chances with regularity, but also the additional coaching that goes into creating that defensive structure has taken away a lot of the freedoms that your forwards probably do need to be able to produce and perform at the highest level. So I think it's a bit of both. Um, but I, I do think we can get there eventually, of course. Um, is it going to come soon enough is probably the better question. And uh, that I'm not convinced of. Uh, 
Right, I am going to leave it there. Um, I'm off out tonight. It's Friday night. I'm going to go have some sushi. And believe it or not, I have never in my life eaten sushi. Am I missing out? Let me know in the chat. And the reason I've never eaten sushi is because the idea of it, you know, people that don't know anything about sushi, like myself, when people say to you, oh, it's raw fish, it puts me off. It makes me not want to eat it. I've got to be honest. And as a result, the times where I've, ever, where I've gone somewhere where there's been sushi, I've always been safe and got like noodles or something like that. But tonight, I have promised that I am going to dive into it, right into it. And um, yeah, give it a go. And I'll let you know how it goes uh, on the next show. Right. I'm going to leave it there now. Hope you all enjoy your weekend. Bit of a strange one for us this weekend because, of course, we play on Monday night, which on the one hand is a good thing because Arsenal can't spoil our weekend. But it's a bad thing because we have to wait uh, a few more days to see our boys back in action. Uh, But fingers crossed we can pick up all three points. Fingers crossed. Uh, we can start to close the gap on the top six. Until next time, take care of yourselves. Enjoy your Friday. Enjoy your Saturday. Enjoy your Sunday. I'll be back at some point over the weekend with another episode. Until then, take care of yourselves and stay safe. All the best. Goodbye. You're listening to the Chronicles of Aguna, the Arsenal podcast. I'm Martin Tyler, and you're listening to Harry Simeon.